Welcome to The Leader's Guide, the podcast made for today's leaders who are looking to make a difference in their life and the lives of others. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first ever episode of The Leader's Guide. I'm your host, Alex McCall, and this is something that's been on my one-day list as long as I can remember, and I'm so excited to finally get started with it. The purpose of this podcast is to promote personal and professional development through leadership. Together, we will essentially be having conversations with influential people on topics that they are passionate about and translating that into leadership. And I cannot have a better first guest for this show. I'm currently a senior at Arizona State University, and when I was still on the drawing boards for this show, this person immediately came to mind because he has been doing what I am looking to do for years. He's a former career coach for the business school at ASU, and he has influenced myself and hundreds of other students as they pursue their professional goals. And he is currently transitioning into Intel as an operations manager. Connor Baskin, welcome to the show. Hey Alex, thanks for having me. I am very, very excited to be here today and I'm really looking forward to our conversation. I'm stoked for this. This is, this is probably the highlight of my week, even with school starting and everything else. Um, so Connor, for some of our viewers, I guess, who, who aren't or listeners who aren't super familiar with you, do you want to give us a little bit of introduction about yourself and where you're from? I know you went to ASU and kind of how you got to where you are today. Sure. So I am a Phoenix, Arizona native, um, which I guess would make sense because then I ended up going to ASU at the best business school in the nation, per my opinion, which is the W.P. Carey School of Business and actually came in as a business law major. I think I changed my major probably five to seven times. Um, I think that's something that was largely influenced by conversations I had with more, more senior peers and mentors throughout my time because I realized very quickly I didn't actually want to be a lawyer. I ended up graduating with degrees in supply chain management in German, which I like to say is the most popular major combo at the, uh, at the business school. And after graduation, I went and worked at Intel as a product manager, then did a Fulbright grant, then moved to Indiana to get a German PhD, which I ended up not continuing past the master's stage. So I do have a master's in German, which is a fun fact, and then moved back to Arizona, worked at a ed tech startup, and then got to work at the WP Gary School of Business as a career coach for two years. That is probably the most fascinating job I've ever done and may ever do in my entire life, just because Getting to work with employers, students, see the whole growth process of students like Alex is uh, is exciting, and and I'm now translating or sorry, not translating, transitioning into a role at Intel as an operations manager. There's a certain level of excitement there too, and certain personal note as well because one of my former students is actually the intern on our team. So I guess what they say about WP Carey is that kind of like the Hotel California in that. Um, you can check out, but you never really get to uh, never get to leave. Yeah, there's your little WP carry plug for the day. Um, so kind of, I guess, moving to Intel right now is kind of full circle where you were at in college and now you're ending up there. So uh, for people who don't, I guess, know, what does it mean to be a, a career coach? Because I know that you've had an impact on on hundreds of students within WP carry and outside of WP carry as well. So what does that mean to be a career coach? Sure. So to me, when people think of career coaches, I think they think of people who have all the answers. And to me, that's actually not what a career coach is. When you have hundreds of students you're talking to, it would be impossible to have answers for every unique student. 
to me, being a career coach is knowing the industry with which you're working. So for me, I work with supply chain management students, both graduate and undergraduate throughout WP Carey, which allowed me to really focus. But when you have that industry subject matter expertise, being able to ask the right questions and be able to listen in order to ask the right questions. Something I noticed about my bright and motivated students is almost all of you, and I can I feel like I can comfortably say that to you, Alex, because uh, you are a former student of mine, is that all of you have a general idea of what you want to do. And it's my job as a career coach to help simplify the complexity, help you start asking yourself the right questions and occasionally do some prodding and devil's advocate um, where needed. This isn't to say, of course, that I'm sitting here being Socratic all the time as a career coach. I think part of that is having performance management conversations in that I would have conversations with students who might go, well, hey, I'm really good at interviewing. I, I can't imagine why I'm not getting a job and I'm getting all these interviews. We might sit down, do a mock interview, and then work through areas of improvement and development areas. And I think the language around development areas is important in the sense that as a career coach, everything is, is an unfinished project. Even when your students get jobs and they come back to campus, they'll sit down and probably ask you, hey, I'm at work, I'm thinking about this what's going on here. And for me, when working with students, it was important to help them develop lifelong career skills rather than just, hey, Connor, edit my resume. That feels really transactional. I didn't want to just write resumes. I wanted to develop lifelong career skills. And fortunately, that's what I was able to do at, at WP Carey in my role there. Yeah, I think that's that's something we've talked a lot about with coaching is I'm, I'm striving to become a coach. You're kind of transitioning in that kind of industry. And um, a lot of times people have the answers inside them. It's just about asking the right questions and, and providing the, the right skills in order to better apply those. And I know that me personally attending some of your, your workshops about negotiations and how to, how to work your way around offers and help yourself progress in a career is huge professional skills and that, that extend beyond just, you know, getting an initial offer, but stick with you for frankly, your entire career negotiation is something that you will never not do so long as you're still breathing. But um, yeah, so one of the, the, when we sat down initially and we're talking about this podcast and, and I asked you something that you're passionate about that, that ties to leadership, something that you get really excited up, you immediately fired away with mentorship. And you mentioned that that's something that you've been talking about a lot the, the past week or so. And I know as a, as a coach, integrating mentoring into what you do, would you mind just walking us through mentorship and what that means to you? Sure. So there's a couple elements of mentorship that are important to me. I think the one of the, the to me, the most important one is that mentorship is oftentimes reciprocal in that I've had a lot of conversations about mentorship and I get the impression that there's this belief that it's overwhelmingly one-sided, meaning the more senior person is the person delivering the knowledge and the younger person is just absorbing it. And I think I would probably push back on that a little. Mentorship's been immensely rewarding to me because I've been able to take so much from my mentees in the sense that when you're sitting down with someone and they're asking you questions, you really have to hold the mirror up to yourself and ask, well, why am I giving this person this advice? What could be my biases? How might I adjust what I'm saying? And I think there's something very pure about that in the sense that you're trying to help someone else, but along the way, you have to hold the mirror up to yourself and ask, well, what could I be doing better? There's the other side of it though, when you're not the mentor, when you're the mentee of being able to ask somebody who's more experienced than you and knows more than you do about a certain topic is just immensely rewarding. 
think you can probably tell why I was a PhD student. I'm very curious. I like to learn. And there's something to me just very exciting about getting to sit down with someone who I look at and like, wow, what you're doing is really cool. Can you tell me about that? Because one, it's energizing. They're going to be excited talking about something they're excited about. And I'm going to be energized hearing somebody who's very competent at what they're doing, talking about what they're doing, giving advice, and just being, being excited. I think it's hard to leave a, a meeting with a mentor um, or when you're serving as a mentor and like less energized than you were when you came in. And the last part of that too was at the start of the podcast, I mentioned I changed my major a bunch of times and I think I owe my decision to land on supply chain management in German due to conversations I had with, with mentors and hashed out because I can promise you that the long-haired awkward kid that started college is a, uh, different than the, the short haired kid who was still kind of awkward that finished college. And a big part of that was due to mentors. And I don't even mean people that are substantially older than you. I've got friends that are two or three years older than me that I treasure immensely as mentors and um, would probably push people to, to do the same. It doesn't have to be formal. I think we all probably participate in mentorship a bit more than we, than we realize without perhaps putting that label on it. Expanding that a little bit. So who are some of like the, the big mentors that you've had over your years with WP Carey and at Intel and in, in your journey? Sure. So I would, I would have to, I'll go immediately here. Uh, the senior members of the career management team, I think have been absolutely just, I, I'm, of course, now when I have to talk about them, I'm, I start to slip on my words here. But there's a group of people over there, I'm going to avoid name dropping because they know who they are, um, who really just sat me down and asked, made me ask myself the question, why a bit more? I'm a bit hyperactive, a bit excited to be doing things and sitting down and being asked, well, why are you doing this? How can you incorporate asking why more? To me, was a, a paradigm shift, right? Because I thought for a while, well, the reason I'm doing this is self-evident. And when I got pushed to ask why a bit more, it's kind of a light bulb moment when when I realized that, when I started working with students, my thought was then, well, cool, I can, uh, I can start asking why a bit more. I think someone else is uh, one of my really good friends, Stephen. Stephen, if you get to listen to this, I, I hope this isn't a surprise to you. But Stephen's a really cool story in that Stephen studied finance at WP Carey, went and worked at an investment bank. And I think he's, at the time of this recording, flying a plane, right? That's a wild background. And I think there's a lot there in terms of why are you doing this, but are you doing what you want to do? And I remember always asking Stephen, well, why are you doing this? And he'd go, well, I do what I want. And my first thought was, well, that's a sassy answer. But when I reflected on it, it's really simple in the sense that that's somebody committed to doing what they want to be doing. And to me asking myself, well, huh, why did I react so strongly to that response the first time? Am I actually doing what I want? When I realized I wasn't doing what I wanted to, I think that that to me was a, another light bulb moment here. Probably going to use that expression a lot today because I think mentorship is kind of tied intimately to that aha, wow moment. And there, there are heaps more, right? We could, we could be on this podcast for probably the next four hours as I run through every person that's helped. But I think those are two immediate groups, um, the team at Career Management and, of course, my, my good friend, Stephen, who continues to be a, a mentor in that way. That's, I love that. I, that's one of my favorite ideas and questions is the, is the why. Have you ever heard of, or Simon Sinek, his start with why, all his YouTube videos and books that he's written on that? Oh yeah, I, I love the, the three circles he has and I, I liked using those in presentations to 
get people hooked into the why. I, I know you mentioned the negotiation presentation I did. And part of that to me is, is asking people, well, why would you negotiate? Most people go, well, why wouldn't you? And to me, that's not necessarily an answer. And when you get people thinking about that, why the rest will follow. Yeah, I, I love that. I think that he talks about, and I'm going to butcher quote, but the idea is that like people don't follow what you do. They follow why you do it. And I think when you live your life based on that, why you are, are you drive so much further and so much faster and doing it with people. And I, I think that that idea is so important, especially for students right now is people are going into their, a lot of their like first professional careers, graduating from college and getting into their nine to fives and their corporate jobs or whatever kind of jobs that they're, they've been working so hard to get to. How do you think that that question of asking why ties into searching for different companies and trying to decide where to go? That's a really good question. And to me, a lot when we talk, so career, I'll, I'll call it career management. I think that's a, probably a better descriptor in the sense that you, you do have to manage your career lifelong. To me, there's the element of people right, wanting to write a resume because, hey, I've done this, right? It's easy to write. Okay, I guess I could get into an argument about whether or not it's easy to write a resume, but we'll table that. It's easy to go, hey, I've got this resume. Now I'm going to go apply. You get instant gratification. And I think to me, starting with that why of, well, why do I want to do this thing? Or what problems do I want to solve? What's the why here is a more sustainable way to stay engaged in what you're doing. And the way I would break it out, Alex, is, okay, well, what problems am I trying to solve? And then when I've landed on a problem or my why for wanting to engage, going, is this really what I think this is? I think it can be easy in these mentorship conversations, and this can be the dark side of mentorship, is getting really excited about something because your mentor is excited about it. And I would say, proceed with caution. Your mentor's enthusiasm does not always have to be your enthusiasm. But after you ask that, what problems, what's my why, you've really tested your assumptions, then going out and really also pushing and going, okay, how do I show up correctly? to pursue this sort of role or whatever your career is, right? There's a competitive market, whatever your ideal job is, other people have that ideal job too. How are you distinguishing yourself? At the end of it, I would say that is how you then get to that fun resume piece once you've gotten through all the hard work of asking that why. And I would also say asking why is hard in the sense that you also have to admit to yourself sometimes, I don't really know why I'm doing this thing. And that can be a weird or icky feeling I don't know why I'm doing this. And then you feel kind of dumb. That's okay. I think you're not dumb if you don't know why you're doing something. It's an opportunity to learn and get better. And I think everybody that's listening to this podcast and everybody that on this podcast right now probably wants to get better at, at what they're doing. So to me, the why is then an invitation to get better, an, an opportunity to understand yourself better. And it's a great way to ground your career in something that's sustainable and that's something that ideally matters to you. I can, yeah, I completely agree with that. I think that there's a lot of, at least from, I felt this my, myself personally, but a lot of pressure to figure out what your why is and what your purpose is and what you're meant to do for the rest of your life and everything else. And I know that that causes a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety with young professionals who are either on the entrepreneurial path, starting up their career, or maybe they're graduating from college, looking to apply for a job, or they haven't graduated from school and they're looking to apply to jobs and helping themselves stand out. And 
that stress of, is this where I want to be for the next 50 years? Or this is what I want to be doing. And, and obviously you're going through a, a big career shift yourself. And I imagine that in Simon Sinek, just kind of going back to him a little bit, he talks about like your why kind of never changes, even if you're not really aware of it. Um, he uses like kind of an analogy of like, when you're a little kid, you wanted to be an astronaut because you wanted to explore and you wanted to discover and you wanted to distinguish and you, you grow up and you start to um, get into other different studies, starting to get into other sciences, maybe exploring still and discovering still and, and feeding that, that deep need for curiosity and maybe growing up and pursuing psychology and being a psychiatrist and wanting to discover and understand why people do what they do. That kind of why staying the same, but translating into different fields as, they, um, as you move through different careers and different paths. Do you find any, like, do you relate to that at all as you transfer from career coach into your role at Intel? This is a, that's a fantastic question. That's, that's very thought provoking. I'm going to reflect on this, but I'm going to answer immediately in the sense that, yes, I think there's a lot of transfer between the career coaching work and that of an operations manager in that as a career coach, I think your job is to fundamentally simplify the complexity that whoever your client is, is experiencing and enable them to reach their potential, do the things that they want to do and enable them to, to do all of that. And at, at that core, you have to be a good partner to the person that you're working with. That's the, uh, the meat and bones of what you do. Uh, as ideally, as an operations manager, you're not making people's lives more complicated. You're being a good partner to the team. You're simplifying work. You're making things more accessible and you're freeing the team up to do the work that they want and need to be doing. And if you can do your job well as an operations manager, you can elevate the entire team around you, which to me really ties into my why, which is I want to make people's lives better and enable people to achieve things that they perhaps would have thought, hey, I can't do that. And I don't need to have my name on the billboard by any means. Um, I'll know I'm doing my job well when those around me are winning. And that's something I think that was great to see as a career coach when your student gets a job offer, when they're excited, when they go off into the post-college world, but as an ops manager, I think will be excited. It'll be exciting seeing people have time back because they don't have to worry about tic-tac-y operational items. Instead, they can push the group, push the team forward and drive the business forward. And that to me is great, right? Because that's one person enabling a group of eight or 10 people at one time. And you know what, what could be better than that? I think it's the other element though is understanding in the abstract, right? What's that why? Am I able to make people's lives easier in, in this role? I was a lifeguard in high school and uh, I, I still think that that, you know, that ties into my why, right? Parents could leave their kids because they know as a lifeguard, they could go to the bathroom, they could go relax. They know, okay, my life's easier because there's a lifeguard there. And listeners might be going, wait a second, what? How do you do that as a lifeguard? I challenge you to think about that in the sense that once you have that abstract why, it's easier to find it through things. But at times I think you could feel disoriented, right? If you don't have that why, because then it'd be why am I even going to work? That's tough. Who wants to go to work for 40 plus hours a week, not knowing why they're there? I certainly wouldn't want to. Yeah. I think that that's what leads to the, the quote corporate burnout where you kind of get tired of just kind of doing the same thing over and over again. It loses its, its nuance to it. And, oh man, I get so excited just listening to you talk about your why, why you get doing what you're doing. It's funny. Cause I think back Connor, we met earlier this year, honestly, like a few months ago is when we met and talked for the first time. And we have such an alignment and similar whys in what we do. 
and just of helping people create their best life, become better versions of themselves. And through coaching, through operations manager, through lifeguarding, I was a community assistant my my sophomore and junior year at ASU and or an RA in the in the dorms. And the my initial reason for why I wanted to do it was I wanted to help freshmen, help uh, first year students integrate into school and really make the most out of their experience. Their experience being at ASU, but now as I'm transitioning into a coach as a career, helping people make the best experience for themselves, but in their careers and in their lives and in a little bit bigger scale in that regard. Um, which is, I think, why we just clicked so so quickly and so well, looking back and how shortly we've known each other, which I think is so cool. I'd agree with that too. I think that there's another element of mentorship that makes it appealing. Um, sure, every mentor you have isn't going to have the same why as you, but again, that idea of being energized by people that are excited about what they're doing, there's something especially exciting about being around people who have a similar why to you. And I think for me, if you had asked me, this is a, this is an anecdote, but if you had asked me, Connor, do you want to go to a professional conference and talk to people? I put this question to our listeners. Do you want to go to a conference? A lot of people might throw their hands up and go, oh, no, I don't want to go to a conference. That's, that's tough. But I got to go to a conference in Monterey, California within my first couple months at WP Carey, where we were talking to other people within the career space. And I have never had more fun in my life talking because everybody there had that common interest of how can we support our students? How can we help our employer partners? How can we do this better? And I had a hard time, I think, pulling myself out of the conference to, to go to sleep and actually eat food because I was sitting there. I'm like, there's 300 people in this room right now who are just as excited as about the same thing I am. And I left, remember, I just felt like my head was on fire. I was like, there's so much I have to do. Um, I think I got sick almost immediately after, probably because I, I didn't sleep for like the three days I was there. Cause I was like, I have to talk to all these people. They're just like me. Um, and knowing that I'd get sick after, I'd probably do that again in a heartbeat. I think those 72 hours I had, I wouldn't trade them for the world because it was very energizing. And I, I think I have probably 20 of those business cards and in, uh, in, in my backpack too, of people I met and, and correspond with too. So let's take that back to what you were kind of saying earlier, because you mentioned that the darker side of mentorship is a word of caution of um, not letting your mentor's excitement stray you towards something you don't necessarily want to do and it doesn't necessarily align with who you are your values your why how do you go about finding a mentor that you align with that excites you in knowing that they are in knowing that they're not just excited about them and firing you up and motivating you but something that truly aligns with who you are and what, where you're trying to go for me one element of that is going to be iteration as an undergrad i spent a lot of time so for the People on this podcast who are not familiar with the layout of the business school at ASU, it's a place called the Dean's Patio where people will sit and congregate and drink coffee. And I probably drank way too much coffee just sitting on Dean's Patio, just chatting with people, chatting with upperclassmen when I was a sophomore and just asking, hey, can we talk? Hey, let's, let's you know, tell me a bit about you. Tell me about what you think. And a big part of that was figuring out, well, one, how can I be an effective mentee? I don't think there's a lot of thought given to that, right? A lot of the focus in literature is how do I be a good mentor? And once I kind of figured out, well, how can I, how can I show up well as a mentee? It became easier for me to look at people I was interested in having mentor me and go, okay, are you invested in this? Because 
there can sometimes be a performative element of mentorship, which is I want to be a mentor because I feel like it's something I should be doing. Coming back to the, the Stephen point around doing what I want, I feel like I should be doing it rather than because I want to be doing it. And to me, noticing does this person in the way they're talking, in the way that they're, they're living their professional and, and personal lives, is that consistent with what they're telling me? And the second there is advice being given to me as a mentee that is completely against how this person is living their lives, I think the, the hair starts to go up in my arms where it's like, okay, do you believe what you're saying to me? And if not, is this going to be a fruitful exercise in, in mentorship? And if not, that's totally okay. I, I don't think there's any hard feelings in the sense that if you have a mentee who stops corresponding with you, that's totally cool. But on the other hand, I think if you have a group of mentees who stop corresponding with you, you might hold up the mirror to yourself as a mentor and ask, well, wait a second, why aren't they coming back? Am I missing something? And again, right, that's what's so appealing about mentorship, but I didn't actually realize the whole hold up the mirror, reflect on yourself thing until yet, yet again, another mentor as an undergrad kind of pointed that out. Hey, what are you doing? What could you be doing better to make the mentees that you have want to buy into to working with you or at least hearing from you? I think that perhaps may have been a more complex answer than I, I'd hoped to give Alex, but I hope that that gives the audience something to think about and answers the, the question at hand. Yeah, and I wanna chunk that down a little bit too. Um, cause in, in my eyes, at least mentoring is a lot about like finding somebody who is where you want to go and they're essentially providing advice, guidance, wisdom on, on their path that they took and how it could potentially help you and, and, you know, translating that to you in a little bit, but for you in holding up that mirror as a mentor, as a mentee, what were some of the things that you saw that you needed to change or that that you needed to really focus on, really hone in on in order to become a better version of yourself as a mentor or a mentee? To me, I think I'm probably going to steal this from Michael Jordan from the, uh, the last dance. So I, I don't claim that this is my own wisdom, but it's just never asking somebody to do something or advising somebody to do something that you wouldn't be willing to do yourself in the sense that I see all these motivational posts. I'm sure we've all seen these memes about wake up at four and just pour ice water on your head to get energized for your day. I, I have never done that in my life. I would never do that. I've woken up at four to jump into a swimming pool as a part of being a club swimmer, but I'm not going to do all of that other stuff. And I think for me, there's the, the less extreme example of being disciplined and, and doing something consistently and that it's really easy to tell people just chunk things down, do them consistently, you'll be great. But for me, oh, I screw that up all the time, right? I'm obsessed with trying to keep streaks going and I'm simultaneously absolutely awful at it because I'm, I'm so excited about what's going on around me. And I think that would be the, the area where I would say, okay, getting better at consistency is a development area for me, but at the same time is the advice, I think it also makes the advice that I'm giving the mentee, I'm also giving that advice to myself in the sense that's the advantage as a mentor. If you're telling somebody, hey, I'm going to be really consistent, congrats. You now owe that to both yourself and your mentee to live up to what you're telling them. The dark side of that though, is if you've got like 12 mentees and you, you, you commit to 12 people to do 12 distinct things, that is a lot of commitment. There are 24 hours in a day. And assuming you're sleeping for eight hours, you don't got a whole lot of time to do all 12 of those things, right? Um, and that, I think we can probably have a discussion about how much mentoring you could do. Um, 
I'm not going to say there's a right or wrong answer. I think for me, you kind of have to restrict the amount of people you're mentoring at one time, just because it can get very overwhelming. And then you can end up shortchanging that excited person on the other side of the table from you. I think that that's a huge aspect of integrity of just, I've, I've learned so much about that as, as I become a coach and, and as a coach, as a mentor, as really any kind of person where you're giving advice, a counselor, a therapist, um, a psychiatrist, anything like that, it is very difficult to look at somebody and say, you should be doing this when you haven't done that yourself. You know, a, a, you should get up earlier, you should read 10 pages a day, or you should exercise. You know, it's one of the, like, I would never take fitness advice from somebody who is, who is overweight and unhealthy or, or relationship advice from somebody who has never been in a relationship just because it's important to walk that road and that you're still walking that you're still, I'm reading right now, the slight edge, which I have actually right next to me that talks about the daily disciplines that you enact into your life and the impact that that has. And it's like, he talks about it of like a, um, a cycle of going from failure to survival to success where a lot of people, they kind of are at that survival stage, they fall and they hit failure. And then they implement some of those daily habits, the daily disciplines and work their way back up to survival but then they stop doing them. And in order to get successful, you have to just keep doing them, keep going on that upward trend instead of stopping and falling back down. So I think that that's, that's critical on the mentor side. What about on the mentee side? Because I think that a lot of our audience are people who are getting started in their career and are maybe looking for mentors and, and mentorship and being a mentee and being willing to learn and stuff like that. But what do you think for, for you holding up the mirror? What did that look like in in working through that? Sure. As a mentee, to me, the key element or something that's meaningful to me is when you realize you don't have to do everything your mentor suggests and that you can actually push back on it. I think that's where things get fun and they get exciting in the sense that it's not just you meeting with your mentor, you asking questions, them giving you answers, and you following through. That would be really boring. To me, that would be giving your entire, like the reins of your life to someone else and saying, hey, do this for me. For me as a mentee, if a mentor is giving me advice, I think it's important to sit down and really reflect, ask why, what do I like, what do I agree with? What do I disagree with? Why do I agree with this? Why do I disagree with it? And whenever you meet next with that mentor sitting down and going, hey, this is what I liked. I kind of wanted to ask a bit more, push back on this. Because from the other side of the table, then as the mentor, if I had a mentee, and I, I do, who will come to the table and go, hey, I followed up on this, wanted to kind of argue with you, can we go, you know, throw the gloves on and just debate this? That's exciting, yeah, right? Because definitely. then you get to defend a viewpoint. But as a mentee, then you actually get to engage, you're actually doing stuff. Because what I've noticed as a mentee has been a killer is I've left conversations, I'm really energized, and then I don't follow through. And I kind of sit there and I ask myself, well, what was the point of all that? because my mentor was clearly excited about it. I was excited about it. I did nothing. And then when I next meet with them, they're going to ask, hey, did you read that article? Hey, did you listen to that podcast? Did you do X, Y, or Z? I'm going to have to look them in the eye and say, no, I just didn't do it. And that's not a feel-good moment. I think as a mentee, you, you do have to actively engage. Securing somebody as a mentor is the first step. To me, the next step is then actively engaging, actively following up. I think Again, to come to my, my earlier point, which of course I, I struggle with, is that consistency element. But again, it's, it's not always that you have to leave a meeting with a mentor and just listen to a three-hour uh, podcast or something like that. It's, hey, how can I engage this? Perhaps you sit and journal, but taking people's advice and pushing on it is important. And the other side of that, Alex, I would say is that 
I do this, I think we all do this, the advice we give is always consistent with our viewpoint and our biases. And when I realized that as a mentee, help me understand mentors better because I could ask, well, where are they coming from? What might be influencing the advice they're given? And does that make sense? Yeah, that's me? huge. So not, not all advice fits and it's totally fine. It doesn't mean the person's a bad mentor if 100% of what they say isn't accepted by you. If anything, if they're open to discussion, that to me is what makes an exciting and good mentor and would invigorate me as a mentee. That's huge. I think that, yeah, oh my gosh, that's so important. I'm trying to like pick at what you said because I, I think that a tying back a little bit to understanding why you're doing something, why you're not doing something, asking some of those deeper questions, asking for what purpose when you're, when you're hitting challenges, when you're wanting to do something and, and then seeing if that is in alignment with your mentor. And if that's in alignment with your mentee, because sometimes it's just simply some pairings are not always meant to be, and not all, not all mentor mentor mentee relationships will not always create and lead to success, which is why I think it's so important to take the time to, when you're looking for a mentor or when you're assessing who your current mentors are, are they outlining a path for you that kind of makes sense? Or would they help you get there? Or are you it being in integrity with yourself and doing what you are telling your mentees to do or advising them to do? I think it's, it's so important. And um, I know that this is, this is a much deeper question and topic that ties into um, that so much. And, and a lot of people have written books and there's so much on the internet about it, but the idea of searching for your why, do you have any advice about pursuing that, looking into that, discovering that so that you can better apply that to your career, to your personal and professional life? This is, I love this question. This is, I hope this question becomes a, a podcast stable, but again, that's my bias. And as we've been discussing, you can ignore we'll what I just we'll said if you so choose. I think to me, it's that you have to move your feet. You have to be doing things, being, be it reading, be it discussing with people, writing, engaging in an activity that excites you. I don't think you can figure out what your why is. I think we all, people tend to say, find your passion as if you're just going to be walking up the street and trip over it and go, oh, applied um, decision sciences or whatever is my, is my passion or is my why. I think it's an active and at times very scary process because you don't know if you're, if this is the why you're iterating and you might be wrong about things. And the advice I would dispense there is that's okay. If you're failing, if you're getting things wrong, if you're unsure, if you're crossing things off a list, guess what? That's exciting because you're one step closer to figuring out what that why is. The other side is I think that your why isn't something that's static. I would actually say it's pretty dynamic in that 19 year old Connor's why, what motivated him is probably different than 27 year old Connor's why a sense of things have changed. You had life experiences. And if you continue to practice that iterative approach of asking yourself why interrogating your values, I think you can remain current with yourself, which if I were at my current age to be holding myself to 19 year old Connor's values. I think there'd probably be some incongruence there. I probably wouldn't be very happy and that's fine. I'm not a 19 year old anymore and I don't have to be. And I know that can sound scary in the sense that what I basically just said was you're going to be wrong a lot for the rest of your life. You're going to be constantly searching for something. But I think that's the appeal, right? Is the, the end results not what's exciting. It's the journey of I'm trying to figure out what my why is. And even if you have your why for only a couple of years and it's fleeting and you're back to searching, so what? Enjoy the process. I think that's what's very pure, right? It's what we've been talking about this podcast is 
the mentorship mentee relationship is the, the process, right? It's not just the, the outcome. It's the how am I doing this thing such that when there is an outcome, it's the, the right one. So I think I probably hit two points there, Alex, but that would be my advice both to the to the listeners and to myself in that I'm going through a transition right now and I've had to spend some time asking myself, well, how does this impact my why? Does it impact my why? Um, and why does this impact my why? I feel like I got kind of meta there at the end, but um, I stand by what I said. Oh man, that's, I'm going to encourage like everybody to just go and re-listen to that. As soon as I publish this podcast, I'm going to be re-listening to that last little part. I think that that is something that everybody needs to hear, no matter kind of where you're at in your personal professional experience and your life experience is having the patience with yourself to fail, having the, the patience and compassion with yourself to know that it's going to be okay to make mistakes so that we're all kind of in this path together. And that's the joy of mentorship is having somebody to walk with you on that journey, to have somebody with you to work through those challenges, work through those struggles, to when you fail, having somebody to help you get back up and to show you the path to maybe a better outcome. I think that that is, that is huge. And I would encourage everybody to go re-listen to that little, last little part um, there. I'm yeah. gonna jump in here and I guess add another anecdote. There's someone who I have tremendous respect for named Ben, who I'll probably send this podcast to. I think he'll get a kick out of it. but. Uh, I met him when I was a PhD student and then going from being a PhD student to a career coach to an operations manager, you might think, well, what does Germanic studies have to do with operations management? I'd say on face value, probably not a lot, but that's somebody who I could come to and say, hey, this is where I'm stuck. Can you, can you be Socratic? Can you help me play ping pong? I feel like I'm banging my head against the wall. And Ben would kind of always say with a wry smile on his face, that's right, it's good you're banging your head against the wall, but maybe we find the right wall for you to bang your head against, which to me was, again, light bulb moment, that's kind of a Connor buzzword, but oh yeah, cool, struggling is part of the process, but am I struggling on the, white th the, the right thing, and am I doing what I want to be doing versus what I should be doing, and that's been something profound. At times, it's really difficult to do. Banging your head against a problem isn't always the most enjoyable thing, but knowing, hey, I'm going about the process in the right way, I think, to me anyway, relieves a lot of the anxiety of, well, am I wasting my time? I don't like to waste my time. I don't think most people do, but to me, it's comforting knowing, hey, failing isn't a waste of time. It's actually a pretty good use of time. And I'd say that some of my most spectacular failures are probably my best stories. Like succeeding is boring. Like, oh yeah, you won this. Cool. Tell me about a time you failed. I think that's the, the very raw human moments. And Ben, to me, is a great example of somebody who, who taught me that. So if he's listening to this, thank you, Ben. If you're not Ben and you're listening to this, like Alex said, be patient with yourself and, and let yourself fail. That's, man, I feel like those are, those are some words to finish on, Connor. I, I appreciate you, you sharing all of that and sharing some of your experiences with mentorship, with failure and having that kind of compassion and patience with yourself. And I think that, that that is something that every single person needs to drill in and nail in is having that patience, having that compassion with yourself. You're going through the process. Your process looks different from my process, which looks different from Connor's process, which looks different from everyone else's process. And it's the fastest way to destroy something special is to compare it to something else. So you're on your path and you're doing that. Connor, thank you so much for, for taking the time to just be here and to be an amazing first guest. And um, I've got one last thing to finish with. This is something that I've done on every single one of my podcast episodes to finish uh, asking five rapid fire questions. You can just go ahead and, and 
give whatever answer comes to your mind. It doesn't have to be super long, super drawn out, but I've got five questions for you. I promise they're going to be fun. I promise they're not going to be super daunting and dangerous, but um, here they come. All right. So number one, what is a movie that you will watch over and over and over again? Howl's Moving Castle. That's a movie that's very, very important to me. A close second there, though, is going to be the movie Spirited Away. Both are made by the same studio. I just watched both of those for the first time this summer, and Winning. they were fantastic. They were so good. Okay, if you were given $100,000 to donate to one cause or one organization, where would you send it? That's a good question. To me, it would be to invest in first-generation college students. I think there's immense talent. There is immense desire to work hard, and it's a shame to see such bright minds not given the opportunity to flourish due to the lack of financial access and equity. It's pain when you see people's dreams taken from them due to something silly like money. And if I could use the money in that way, I think it'd be exciting in the sense that if you could get 10 excited people through school or even two, at that point, the effect compounds, they'll give back. And at that point, sure, we're not going to solve the problem um, of educational access, but we can make a, a small dent in it. Yeah. That's huge. Shows a little bit about yourself too. Um, number three, what's something that you've been really into lately? I've been extremely into learning Spanish. Um, I think the way that this manifests itself is it's important to me on a personal level. Uh, my, my wife, my wife's family are from Mexico, but the way this has been manifesting itself is not through me reading the classics. I've ripped through all, I think, 70 episodes of the Mexican equivalent of the Jersey Shore. If there are Spanish speakers listening to this podcast or people who want to listen, I, I strongly recommend it. It was an absolute journey going through um, seasons one through seasons eight in about two weeks, which I think can show you a bit of how I uh, spend my time. I think that was probably 80 hours, basically did full-time um, Mexican Jersey Shore for a couple of weeks. And uh, I, I would do that again in a heartbeat. Yeah. So ready to start up at, uh, at Intel then. Um, okay. So, <laughs> um, number four, what would be your walkout song? Oh, this is, this is a hard question. Um, this has to be levels by Avicii, the, the radio edit in, in particular. Um, mm -hmm. that song has actually been my alarm for many years. I think it really annoyed my roommates in college when it would be like five in the morning and they just hear levels blasting through the wall. Uh, the question I got was, you know, Baskin, can't you pick another song? Like, we really, really like Levels, but you're completely taking this from us. And I kind of just shrug my shoulders and go, all right, well, just wake up early. You know, you're already awake at that point. Make something out of it. I, I don't think they appreciated that response, but it has to be uh, Levels by Avicii, specifically the, the radio edit. Awesome. And lastly, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Ooh, this is tough. I would say that it has to, to me, there's probably a bunch of candidates for this, but it's remember to ask yourself if you're doing something because you want to be doing it or because you feel like you should be doing it. And by that, I don't mean if your mom asks you to do the dishes, staying mom, you know, I feel like I should be doing this. I'm not doing it. Don't be a malcontent. What I mean by that is, am I engaging in this career activity? Am I reading this book because I want to? because I feel like I should be reading this. And an example would be me in grad school reading a bunch of classic German literature that I realized I didn't want to read, but I felt like I should be reading it because of the environment that I was in. So don't be afraid to ask yourself, am I doing this for myself or am I doing this for other people? Maintain that internal locus of control. 
I love that. I think that that is some, some huge advice. Great words to finish on, Connor. Again, thank you so much for um, taking the time, being willing to be my first guest. This was a lot of fun, and I'm, I am really excited for, for where this, this show is going to go and to hear how you do at Intel and, and everything else. I know that you've had such a huge impact on the ASU community and my personal life and so many others. Um, and I guess just, just a quick word to our listeners. If you enjoyed this, this podcast, enjoyed the messages here, enjoyed the idea of what's going on, please share it. Please subscribe. Please uh, like and comment and everything else. Um, this is kind of one of my passion projects that I'm looking to start. And I am so grateful to Connor Baskin for really helping me kick this off and to some of my personal mentors who have helped me uh, on the starting a podcast route. So I appreciate that. I appreciate you, Connor. And um, thank you, everybody, for tuning in.